4: and we're just saying make the better choice you don't have to make this choice every single day but make the better choice when you have the opportunity to
2: you're listening to side hustle pro the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business and i'm your host Michaela matthews okome so let's get started Hey guys, this week, we continue with my flashbacks with some of my favorite Side Hustle Pro guests of all time. This episode features Jerry Evans, founder and owner of Turning Natural Juice Bars. I appreciate this episode for several reasons. Number one, I really appreciate Jerry being able to share the impetus for her starting Turning Natural with us, as it was influenced by personal tragedy. And I know that can't be easy to recount time and time again. So thank you for that, Jerry. Number two, I also love that she was easy to talk to. It felt like talking to a friend. And some of you may not realize that often when I interview people, it is my first time Ever chatting with them outside of emails. So it's just always a great feeling when we naturally have great rapport. Number three, Jerry and I both attended a retreat called the My Taught You Retreat hosted by Miley Teal back in May 2019. And it was really great to meet her in person. So listening to this episode. Just brings back feel-good vibes and makes me so happy. Um, Jerry also came out to my Side Hustle Pro live show in October 2019. You can see pictures of that on my Instagram, and she showed love there as well. Number four, it is like from the moment we chatted, I related to her energy and spirit, and it was the same way in person, and the support is mutual. Whenever I am in the area of a turning natural store, I have to slide through and grab a juice. What? jerry has built is just so inspirational to me and what she's continuing to build number five just yesterday i saw her post on her instagram story that in eight years she's opened six storefronts employed over 87 people in that span of time and this year every core team member receive their own storefront how awesome is that so let's go ahead and rewind with jerry In the guest chair, we have Jerry Evans. Jerry is the owner of Turning Natural Juice Bars and has been turning fruits and veggies into liquid and making it taste like magic for about 10 years now. She's also doing it in communities that are considered food deserts, those that wouldn't normally have access to such healthy options. Growing up in southeast Washington, D.C., she watched her mom and others struggle to find healthy options while carryouts and corner stores were readily available. Now, with catchy names like Swiss Beats, Green Latifa, and Mikhail Jackson, she has initiated creative ways to invite customers to try out cold-pressed juices they've never had. Now, you can find her spreading the good health vibes and mission everywhere she can. Today on the show, we get into how she transformed a tragic life event into an impactful business that's ensuring better health for underserved communities. welcome to the guest chair jerry thank you thank you for having me i'm so happy to have you here um as i mentioned i was in the juice bar on h street the other day and i was like this is so yummy this is amazing i'd love to know more about your story so first and foremost what was your career path before becoming the owner of turning natural juice bars
4: So prior to juicing, uh, I was an aeronautical engineer. I worked for a major company, uh, which was probably one of the main companies in the Department of Defense. Uh, My specialty was F-22 fighter jets. So uh, that's literally my background. I didn't want to be an engineer at first. I wanted to go into fashion. But uh, we had a career fair in high school and, you know, they separated all of the boys with Jobs that they believe men become um, and they separated the girls with like nursing and teaching. And I didn't know, you know, to be a feminist then. I just wanted to go with the boys. And so I uh, went with the boys and this guy from NASA, a white guy actually, he said women do not become engineers. And wow. so, yeah, I was so offended. Um, and I went home and I told my mom, I said, you know what? I don't even want to do fashion anymore. I want to become an engineer. And she's like, that's drastic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, I just kind of looked into what types of engineering I would potentially enjoy. And, and to be truthfully honest, none of them were remotely interesting. Um, I just knew that airplanes was probably the most interesting to me. And I ended up majoring at uh, Tennessee State University.
2: So you were on that path. And what did you envision your life looking like before this whole entrepreneurship thing happened?
4: Uh, My first internship was with NASA. And I remember calling my mom during that year, that summer. And I was like, I don't know how people do this every single day for like 65 years. There's no way. This could be life. And so I knew that I was going to work for a while, but I just knew I couldn't be that person that worked into retirement and then just, you know, hope to penny pinch uh, whatever they decided I, I I earned. So actually, I think I was going to probably be an engineer for a while and then I have no idea.
2: <laughs> so walk us through what was the motivation behind starting Turning Natural?
4: Well, uh, 2001, my mom was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer. And even though stage two is relatively early, at that time, cancer was like a death sentence. Everyone was so afraid of uh, being diagnosed. And, you know, all the people that we had known to be diagnosed, like my aunt, uh, who was diagnosed with stage four, she passed away shortly after being diagnosed. And so our life drastically changed. Uh, My mom went from a meat eater to vegetarian to vegan. And um, nine and a half years, she was cancer free, uh, living a very, very healthy uh, life. And we found out in 2010 that cancer had came back. And when it came back, it was much more aggressive. It spread to her bones and then it went to her liver And within like two weeks of us finding out that it had came back, uh, my mom transitioned. And so you'll never really hear me say my mom died. Uh, I think that's a super aggressive word. Um, And it helps me cope to say she transitioned because I believe as energy, we do not die. We just exist in another space. And so shortly after my mom passed, uh, I believe that very next summer, I quit my job. And I had started going to grief counseling. Um, you know, when my mom transitioned, they give you like this pamphlet that tells you what mourning is going to look like. And you know, one minute you're going to be happy, one minute you're going to be sad, then you're going to be depressed, um, then you're going to be angry. And I was just angry. <laughs> I was angry for a very, very long time. My mom was a super spiritual woman. Um, I was very angry with God. I stop believing in any and everything. And I just, I'm already an introvert. Um, so I literally practice my introvert space. Like no one could get in my space. And a really good friend of mine recommended grief counseling, which even made me angrier. Uh it's like I don't want to go to counseling. I don't want another person to tell me Uh, To be absent from the body is to be present with God. Like that didn't make sense to me. And I didn't want someone else to say, I'm sorry for your loss, because I really don't know how to respond to that. You know, I don't want to say thank you that you're sorry for my loss. So I was just in a very angry space and I started going to grief counseling and it was difficult because everyone that I had talked to. Uh, knew my mom, so I never had to explain my mother in the way that I had to explain her to this counselor. And um, she told me that mourning isn't linear. You're not, you know, going to feel one way today, and then the next day is the next phase in that pamphlet. You're going to feel multiple things on multiple days, and um, that was probably the single best advice that I could have gotten after my mom transitioned. So I'm sitting at my desk at my job at the time when I'm still an engineer and I hear my mother's voice and she said, why are you still here now in my mind? I'm like, I read about this. This is the point where I lose my mind. I am going crazy because if I turn around, my mom is standing here. I am not right anymore. Um, And so I stopped what I was doing and I turned around and I heard it again. And of course she wasn't there, but I knew what that meant. Like, you don't want to do this anymore. You're not fulfilled. You're just doing it um, because you're good at it. And so I went to my boss's office and I told him, I said, hey, you know, I can't do this anymore. And, you know, at the time I was doing about the workload that I had was equivalent to two or three people's job titles. And so he said, don't worry, we're interviewing people. We're going to get you some help. And I said, no, no, you don't understand I don't want to do this job at all anymore. Um, So I quit. And (laughs) he's like, okay. You know, I guess because he really wasn't expecting that. And so, you know, I did my security debriefing because I had a really high security clearance. And I got a teddy bear and a pen from my desk and I left. And that for me was the like, okay, what's next? And I went home. And I cried a little, I guess, because I had no idea what was next. <laughs> and I, I talked to my godparents and they're like, why did why would you quit? We're in the middle of a recession people are trying to find jobs. What are you going to do? And everyone's up, keep asking me what's next, what's next. I'm like, well, I didn't really quit with the intention of doing something else right now. And so for two years, I did absolutely nothing.
2: I had you ch- saved up? Did you, you know, do anything at all to just make ends meet?
4: I really didn't. And (laughs) that's the, uh, the crazy part about it. No, I did not save. I mean, I had a savings. I had a very small savings, you know, just because I was paid well as an engineer. Um, I had enough to, you know, sustain me for like a year. And so, you know, to pay my mortgage and I didn't have a car note and I had already paid, um, a significant part of my debt off, but No, I didn't have a large, large savings. And so uh, I also bought things like I bought shoes and bags and clothes. I got a closet. My counselor says I had a closet full of unhappy. Mm. Um, (laughs) So because, you know, you're just you're trying to feel something again. And so I literally I don't really drink. Even to this day, I don't really dream about my mom often. Um, But one night I had a dream about her. And she's standing in my bedroom doorway. And she asked me, she said, why are you so broken? And I'm looking at her like, really? Like, <laughs> you know, of all, th- all things, why I'm broken. And she said, you're obligated to continue creating. And at that time, I didn't, I didn't really know what that meant. And so I said, I woke up and I was just like, OK, what am I going to do? What's next? And my job had me located in Atlanta at the time. So I said, you know what? I'm going home and home is D.C. So I packed my stuff up um, that beginning. This was probably like around November when I had this dream and I moved back to D.C. in January. And my family is a tough love family. Um, They told me that I was not allowed to come back to D.C. to lay on anyone's couch (laughs) Um, and do nothing. If I was going to come back, I was going to work. And, you know, I was like, I didn't quit a job to, you know, relocate and start another job. And so when I came back, you know, everyone was asking me, so what's happening with Turning Natural? So my mom essentially started turning natural. Uh, She started in 2005, of course, out of her own necessity of, you know, assessing healthy options and seeing what was going to work with her through her remission. Um, And so she was doing like this aqua chi foot detoxing situation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's you, you put your feet in this water and there's a module that removes toxins from the bottom of your feet. And so she was doing that and she was, you know, helping people transition from meat eating to vegetarianism to veganism. Uh, my mom's motto when she started her business and the reason she started it because she said, whatever you do well, you don't do for free. And so, <laughs> um, so she started charging people for this information because information really isn't free all the time. And so that's how Turnit Natural essentially started. Well, when I got back, a lot of, you know, friends and family, not a lot, but enough started asking me, so are you going to do anything with turning natural? Because that became my lifestyle. When my mom started, you know, eating healthier, I was literally around 14, 15. So, you know, she threw out all the honey buns and the fruit snacks and processed food. And we're like, whoa, lady, like we (laughs) we don't have cancer. Why do we have to change what we're eating? So. She knew then if we change, then it will become a lifestyle for us. And I will say from that time, even now into my adult life, the, the gems of health have stayed with me. And so I knew that I wanted to continue what she was doing, but on a different level. Um, I really don't want to touch people's feet. <laughs> uh, so I said, OK, how do I maintain the same concept without having to physically touch people in that manner. And if I can get people to change what they put on their plates, we don't have to detox them like that as often. Um, Getting people to make a better choice. And so juicing was a major, major part of my mom's remission. You know, during chemotherapy, you don't really have an appetite, but doctors are saying you have to eat, you have to keep your body You know, healthy and your immune system up, and but they can't keep anything down because chemotherapy is making you nauseated everywhere. You know, everywhere you turn. So juicing then became, you know, what I said I was going to do. It was fun. It was easy, um, and it was an active way to get people involved in their health.
2: So, what were some of the steps you took to make Turning Natural an actual business? Were you selling out of your home at first? Like, when did you say, I want this to be a physical brick and mortar juice bar?
4: Okay, so I was literally doing this out of my house for about eight months. Um, I ordered some bottles offline. Like I literally had $300 to my name (laughs) and I ordered some bottles offline that were $189 and I'm like, crap. Cause you like, you see that you put them in a cart and then shipping happens. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, oh gosh. So I'm already, you know, setting up for people to start cleansing. So I wasn't selling individual juices. I was selling cleanse packages. And I ordered bottles. I went to Staples. I got some labels that I had to handwrite. And I had already had a juicer because, you know, I was already juicing myself. And I went to Restaurant Depot. I had to borrow someone's Restaurant Depot car because I wasn't a registered business. And I bought some produce just enough to start it up. And I literally would juice every evening. And I started a part-time job at the vitamin shop and I was making $8.25 an hour. So I went from a six-figure aeronautical engineer to minimum wage, uh, barely bringing in like $200 a week. And so once I it all of that stuff. Uh, my best friend was actually my first customer. She paid me $99 for a cleanse and she went to work and she was juicing. And, you know, she was just like, the ginger is too heavy. This is, this one tastes weird, but I'm going to do it because it's you. And two of her coworkers end up signing up and it literally spread from, you know, word of mouth, everyone wanted to start cleansing and, you know, things started to roll in and become a little bit better um, financially, I would say, uh, because D.C. is not expensive compared to Atlanta. I was bleeding out everywhere. You know, my rent was extremely high. It was one hundred and fifty dollars for my parking space a month. Um, And so I definitely wasn't doing enough juice cleanses to make that happen. So I was behind on a lot of stuff. And it was after, you know, you've cleansed, let's say, 70 people. You know, those people are now saying, well, I can't cleanse every day. So what I mean, what do I do next? And that's when the demand to look for a location, uh, I guess, jumped out to me. But I knew I couldn't afford anything in D.C. uh, because I could barely afford my rent. (laughs) So why, you know, why jump out there and look for a space? My first space opened up. My godfather had a church um, in a neighborhood that I grew up in, in Forrestville, Maryland. And uh, he had a cafe that he wasn't using. And he said, well, why don't you do your juicing here? And just, you know, I wouldn't allow him to... Let me have it just because I just don't believe business and personal relationships work like that. Um, They can work, but not like that. Mm -hmm. And so he rented the space out to me for a percentage, which really worked for me so that, you know, he still got money. I was still able to get money um, and it worked out. And that space was literally like 450 square feet. I went and bought some paint you know, cleaned it out and, you know, turned it into my own. I think the most expensive thing was the vinyl logo that I had put up, which was like $300. I was so stressed about it. Like, why did I do that? I could have bought products, but I made it work. We were there for about, I would say almost a year. And we literally outgrew that space within that year.
2: So who were your first customers? And, and, you know, how are you marketing? Was it the church members?
4: <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was. So... I, I was very blessed to have a phenomenal mother. Um, she not only left a major impact on me, but her community. And so um, a lot of friends of the family and family and friends of hers, you know, they just wanted to support in any type of way, whether it was coming to buy a smoothie or coming to buy a juice. And that literally kept spreading word of mouth. I've never done any actual advertising. Um, I never bought any advertising space. I never paid anyone to advertise. And so we've literally um, grown from people just showing up and spreading the love.
2: And then when you outgrew that space, how did you choose the locations then for Turning Natural? I know you were particular about going into neighborhoods that didn't have these options. Tell us more about that.
4: Sure. So I grew up in Southeast D.C. and Southeast D.C. is, I mean, it's the hood. (laughs) And my mother barely made $30,000 a year. So when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, the sacrifice to shop at Whole Foods and Trader Joe's was a major sacrifice. You know, you have two children, you're by, you're doing it by yourself, and you are literally trying to survive, literally. And we don't have a Whole Foods in Southeast. We don't have a Trader Joe's in Southeast, but we have a surplus of carryouts. We have a surplus of liquor stores, corner stores, candy ladies, you know, all of these things. And we would have to go to Virginia to just get fresh produce from a Safeway or a Giant and a Whole Foods outside of our community. And that that was a slap in the face. It's like, you know, we live in this community and the Safeway up the street doesn't even provide kale that looks like something I would feed, you know, a, a dog. So that was one of the main reasons I was strategic about placing my juice bar in communities that did not have access because i remember, you know, my mom having to go outside of her community to just get the things that she was now considering her new normal. And i often think about if my mom had had access prior to her becoming an adult. You know, she grew up in Northeast DC on 21st and Benning Road, and that's why H Street location is important to me as well. You know, what if she had those healthy options? What cancer had been a part of her story? And so, you know, not only does she has a major impact. If If my mom's story is that, right? You know, I didn't have access to healthy options. How many more people have that same story? And so I felt it was my obligation to spread that. And so we have one in Southeast DC. We also have one in Forestville, Maryland. I decided to stay in the same plaza where we originally started with the 450 square foot space inside of the church. Uh, because I was kind of afraid to move far because we took a two-month break to build out the second location. Um, And I was so afraid that I was going to lose customers, you know, like, oh, it's just this Black business that started and then they couldn't keep up and now they're gone. And it's like, no, we're not gone. We're just building another space. Um, Do people understand that? And I knew nothing about being an entrepreneur. I knew nothing about, you know, business license and tax IDs and all of that stuff. So it was extremely overwhelming, but I knew I had to
2: make sure that our stores touched people who were underserved. And we'll, but we'll, what's the process of actually opening up these locations? Were you taking on small business loans? Did you utilize your local small business association at all?
4: Well, I, d- I did go to a few SBA courses. Um, I'm very appreciative of the SBA However, it wasn't as relatable as I thought it would have been. You get there and you have real questions. Like sometimes the stuff that they're talking about is way over your head. You know, they're talking about, I was doing business without a business plan. (laughs) 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 I just knew I wanted to sell juice in the hood. I didn't know that, you know, Uncle Sam was going to come for his sales and use tax. Mm. I didn't know that, you know, when the health department shows up, they need to see a business license. You need to go through the health department before you can even open a brick and mortar space. So our very first space, we we were able to, when we were in that 450 square foot space, we got away with a lot of stuff because we were inside of a business, a nonprofit business. So we were extremely blessed <laughs> with that. But when it came time to open our 2,000 square foot store, which is still in Fortsville, Maryland, you know, you need an architect, you need uh, a CFO, uh, which is a certificate of occupancy. You need the fire marshal to come through and do their inspection. You need to have the sprinklers done, your ceiling done. And this was all overwhelming because I had only the money that I had earned <laughs> from the space that we were in. And I'm so happy that I started to practice financial literacy then, um, because if I would have balled out till I fell out, you know, I wouldn't have money to do the things that I was able to do. And I literally went back to juicing in my home after we closed that small space to reopen the larger space because you have a plumber come and say, yes, yeah, let me $30,000 to lay pipe. And you're like, what? What? I don't have $30,000. So what I did, I went to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> and so I tell me you to- you YouTube how to put in pipes. <laughs> Let me tell you something, my my landlord is like my BFF because he told me if you screw this up, it is on you. (laughs) And so I have some really, really amazing people in my life. We went to Home Depot, rented the machine to cut concrete. We had to buy concrete and we went to buy the pipe. Literally, I am juicing and trying to find people to juice for just to afford to do this project. This is just the plumbing. This isn't the drywall now. This isn't the FRP. This isn't three compartment sink. That Forestville location was built off of auctions. Um, you know, other business closing down so I can get a three compartment sink as cheap as possible. Bartering with people saying, hey, I'll cleanse for you if you, <laughs> if you help me lay this, um, this drywall. That was a struggle. That one was a lot. Um, because I knew absolutely nothing and I didn't have the resources to say, this is what you need to do first, second, third, et cetera, et cetera. So at that one, I literally had to learn everything right then and there and get it up and running as fast as possible. Uh, Now, the second location went a little easier, uh, but that one was in DC and DC DC is a horse of another color. So I literally had to learn everything from the ground up.
2: So when you say D.C. is a little bit different, by the time you were moving to D.C., had you earned more from the Forestville location to pay for all of the contractors or were less contractors needed? Well, so (laughs) I really wasn't ready for the second location, but
4: I knew that it was time. So with Maryland, when I said we were blessed because it used to be a cafe, the 2,000 square foot space that we moved into. So it was a change of ownership and not a change of use. If it was a change of use, then I would have had to get an architect and an architect would have had to draw everything out. And architects aren't cheap. Plumbers aren't cheap. Electricians aren't cheap. This stuff is expensive. And and in my mind, I'm like, I'm in the wrong field. I should (laughs) have been a plumber. I should have been an electrician. I should have been an HVAC person. I should have been all of these things other than an aeronautical engineer that literally just put equations together um, because these people are getting paid. And I know because they're writing me these invoices (laughs) to say, I owe them this amount of money. So with DC, it was a change of use. And this, it used to be a hair salon. And we, you know, we go down and I'm going to get my business license. And they're like, you have about 30 other steps that you need to do prior to this. And we're set to open on December 7th, and it's November 15th. And these things do not just turn around fast. And the reason we had such a fast turnaround, the mayor wanted to do the ribbon cutting. And I'm like, you can't do a ribbon cutting because (laughs) we can't open because I need an architect to do this drawing. The work is done. The store is done. And so that was a little setback. But, you know, she pulled her strings and we were able to get that done, but yeah, it was it was much different. Um, still, there was still so many things that I thought I knew mm-hmm. that I did not know, and still there there weren't anyone there wasn't anyone there to say, "Hey, this is what you need to do." Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the unfortunate space that a lot of new entrepreneurs are in, because there's a lot of people who are business owners and girl bosses and, you know, all the other words that we throw out there so freely. But no one's having these real conversations about, you know, how to get a business license, how to sign up for your tax ID, get an accountant. You need to pay Uncle Sam his sales and use tax. You're collecting it. And please believe PayPal, Square, however else you're receiving money, they're reporting it. Mm -hmm. And when, when they see, hey, This person hasn't paid such and such and such and such time. They're going to politely send you a letter saying you owe them X amount of dollars and you have until this date to get that done. So a lot of that stuff, you know, just literally finding out (laughs) once you get those letters. But now I'm in a a much better space. I had had to, you know, educate myself on all of those things. And I'm definitely in a better space (laughs) business wise
2: now that you are in these locations, I'm curious to know what some of the challenges are, particularly, you know, you're in these food deserts, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm interested in like one foot traffic, right? Do you have mm-hmm. any challenges there? And also changing the, the mindset, like, is this something when you're next to like a fried chicken spot, is this something that you are able to garner enough interest about to make those margins worth it?
4: Right. Wow. That's a really good question. So the first part of what we do, you can get juice from anywhere. You can get it from the corner store. You can get it from Target. You can get it from any other juice bar in the city. But you will not get a turning natural experience like you get at turning natural. It's the experience and it's the education we're educating customers on why our menu is set the way it's set. Um, I have been cursed out, bombed out, people stormed out because I don't blink <laughs> Um <laughs> And because, you know, I have a, a science background and I've also, I've been juicing for 17 years now. So it's not like I'm new to it. I know how the body is going to respond to certain fruits and certain vegetables being put together. You're talking about fermentation and you're taking the concept of a $7 juice. And we're about 25% cheaper than any other juice bar that I, and I travel and I go to every juice bar I can in every city that I can. And you still can't beat us in price. And so, but when you're talking about being in underserved communities where you can get a meal for $7.15, why would I walk into turn natural and get a juice for $7.15? And that's one of the biggest struggles is to place value on your health um, that we have to constantly teach because they say, oh, well, this juice is expensive. And in my mom said, so is a heart attack, so is high blood pressure, so is diabetes, and you're killing yourself over time. And we're just saying, make the better choice. You don't have to make this choice every single day, but make the better choice when you have the opportunity to. And, you know, seven dollars, you don't have to get a juice. We have five dollar smoothies. We have two dollar patties. We have um, five dollar salads that, you know, you can put literally anything from kale, quinoa, micro greens. And that's almost unheard of when you go to other salad places that you're going to pay about eight or nine dollars for that. So. That's the challenge: is to one, help people place value on what it is that they're receiving. Uh, another challenge is staff. <laughs> that is to find people who have the work ethic that you need them to have. It's just because you can't teach it; you can't teach work ethic. It's like you you just have to have it. And so, um, teaching people value and uh, staff is always an issue but you roll with the punches
2: you know it's funny the other day when i was in the h street location i was amazed because not only was the staff knowledgeable but actually i think the person behind the counter and a customer were just having this extended conversation about veganism and you know nutrients and i found myself being odd because as challenging as it is, this brother who you would probably look at and based on stereotypes, someone would think he's about to go into, you know, Popeyes, but he mm-hmm. was talking about how he's been vegan and blah, blah, blah. And it just made me think like our community, our community does want this. Like mm-hmm. it's a myth that these kind of options don't belong in our community. So one, you know, I commend you for what you're doing and I know it's challenging, but keep going. Thank and you. number two, I wanted to know more about when did you start to reap profit in order to put things back into your business? And what were some of those first things you invested back into the business?
4: So literally, I had my mom used to call me her favorite child. Um, she said once I arrived, <laughs> she started to reap um, r- really, really <laughs> well. And I never understood that until, you know, it was time for me to my my entire life to me has been nothing but favor. So when we first started doing, you know, all of the juicing and stuff like that, the I had already set my prices to where I knew I was going to have, you know, I didn't know what profit margins were. I didn't know what net margins were. I just knew I needed to make this amount of money to have extra and to rebuy what I needed. And so I literally, I would pay my rent I would pay my bills and then I would put everything back into the business. There was a company that I reached out to and I told them, hey, I had this juice company. I just made it sound like, you know, I was already three stores in. I literally was in my kitchen sending this email. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, it's a booming juice bar in the D.C. area. You know, I really need you guys to own or finance this juicer for me. And I was like, I don't want a loan, you know, I need a very small interest rate. I just need to be able to make payment. And so they told me, they emailed me back and they said, yes. And this was my first uh, industrial size juicer because I couldn't do anything on my little Breville anymore. At this point, I had like 10 people I'm cleansing for and I needed a bigger juicer. And that juicer was $3,500 and they needed $1,500 down and then I can make payments. And I made sure that I put every dime back into this company. I did not go buy, I didn't go out to eat. I didn't buy clothes. I didn't do anything outside of working that minimum wage job and juicing for people. That is literally everything that I did. And it's the sacrifice to make things work. Um, And I didn't borrow any money. I didn't ask anybody for anything. I didn't take out any business loans. I literally put everything back into it. I ran into a guy who had farmland. He is a North Carolina A&T graduate, uh, alumni, older guy. He owns about 200 acres out in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. And I asked him, I said, I need about five acres. And he said, what are you going to do with five acres? Because he sees this girl who's semi-fashionable, like, you're not about to farm. I'm like, <laughs> like, sir, yes, I am. <laughs> Um, I bought some heirloom seeds. I planted carrots, beets, uh, kale, collards, watermelon. And I was like, okay, everything else I can just buy from the grocery store. I can get, you know, from Restaurant Depot. I can get my apples. I can get my lemons because, you know, those things aren't, you know, I can't grow those in a D.C. environment because it's not going to harvest in time. And so I didn't realize how much five acres was, (laughs) Until it was time to harvest, you know, planting the seeds, you're just kind of like throwing. He had someone plow the land for me, and I'm just planting these seeds. And they watered, he had a watering system. And I went back out there, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to take a couple of bags of trash bags and grab everything that I need to grab, come home and wash it. Five acres is a lot. I was overwhelmed. There was stuff I, I just left kale. I left kale. I left beets. I left carrots. There's no way I'm going to. Use all of this, and so um, farming helped me keep my margins down because I couldn't afford to go to Restaurant Depot. And even though Restaurant Depot is significantly cheap, I still couldn't afford it. Um, so, a lot of farming uh, I was able to do, and we still work with local farmers. Uh, I don't do any farming now, that was a lot of work, and I'm not built for it. <laughs> so, so, let me let the farmers do what they do, yeah. So, just Working closely with farmers, having really good relationships with them so that we could make sure that our cost was as low as possible. And, you know, when I first came to came back to D.C., I made it my business to find all of the juice bars in the area. And I reached out to them uh, because I knew that eventually I would need to be able to buy produce at a larger scale. And, you know, I will go and I say, hey, can you tell me how many pounds of apples you go through? What type of apples you use? This isn't for, you know, I don't need to know your formulas or anything like that. But I want to increase our buying power. You're a small juice bar. I'm a small juice bar. Maybe we can go to a farmer and say, hey, if we get 20 cases of apples, can we set it at this price? Um, Each and every juice bar told me no.
2: Wow.
4: Yeah. They said no, they weren't interested. And, you know, I'm trying to create like a collaborative. I don't I'm not you know, I didn't look at it as competition because what you do is for you. What I do is for me. And, you know, we we all really don't do the same thing. We're kind of similar, but our process is totally different now. So, yeah, everyone's told me no. And I'm not going to lie. I was a little heated. I was offended. (laughs) I was like, who doesn't want to make more money? But. Yeah. And so now, you know, with three locations, I don't need to, you know, I can go to those suppliers now. And now, you know, last year, two of the juice bars came to me and said, hey, can we get, um, get on with your supplier? And I said, well, you know, you're going to not to be grimy, but you're going to have to reach out to them because at this point, I don't need someone on my account. I can do it on my own now. And so, you know, it was just that was the, that was the hard lesson to learn is that, you know, it's, it's a dog eat
2: world. And, you know, right. sometimes you got to
4: do it on your own.
2: Right. So I want to know what your team looks like these days. So I'm learning to delegate.
4: I have a hard time with that because I feel like I can do it the fastest. I can do it the best. And I know that I won't have to. I don't like to do rework. And so that's why it's very hard for me to delegate. But I have a personal assistant. Uh, I have an administrative assistant. I have shift leaders at all of the locations. So there's a morning shift leader, evening shift leader. So there's a total of six shift leaders. We have about 38 employees. I really hate the word employees. I have uh, a team of 38. I have an amazing accountant. Yes. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> uh, I also have an amazing lawyer uh, who has taught me everything with contracts. And before I do anything, I need to show him. <laughs> if I sign anything, show him before I sign it. So I have an amazing group of people behind me to be able to make this operation work uh, because I definitely cannot do it on my own. I still do payroll. I still do the schedule because I know how I like the store to flow, but I am training someone now to see what it is that I see. I had a hard time duplicating myself because I was so afraid of not only losing control, it's like your baby. (laughs) It's like, you don't want, you don't want anyone to watch your baby. And so now it's like, this baby is about, this baby's five. So, (laughs) you know, they can walk and talk and, you know, report back to me, whatever needs to be reported, reported. So, I'm a little more at ease with things. So I don't have to go into a store anymore, but I still enjoy doing that.
2: Now, if you were to look back today and, you know, were to talk to an entrepreneur who wants to do exactly what you're doing, is there a resource or something that you were finally able to use to get hip to all of this stuff? Because it seems like, you know, you weren't a huge fan of the SBA, but there was so much, like how did you even find your lawyer, your accountant? Is there any particular resource you can recommend?
4: So, I mean, I I still believe the SBA for, you know, certain things is very uh, resourceful and you can really network with the people that are there. You get a mentor with the SBA, um, depending on where you are with your business. But I would literally say and I, I don't really like the word networking because it means so many different things. It's so taboo. But I found my lawyer through a customer. I found my accountant through a customer. I found uh, my first administrative assistant through a customer. A lot of things is just through other relationships. And so I I would say that having solid relationships with people definitely helps, you know, ease the, the pain of, oh, I don't know where to get this from, or I don't know how to do this. Your group of people around you, you know, should have a, a network of people that they can say, "Hey, I can't do this for you, but I can point you in this direction."
2: All righty, now we're going to transition into the lightning round, which is basically when you answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? I guess <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the side hustle Pro audience? So, okay. There is this
4: book that I read called The Profit First. And The Profit First is by Mike Michael, which something. (laughs) But if you look it up, uh, Profit First, his first name is Mike. It talks about, um, I think, being financially secure in your business and understanding your finances when it comes to business is extremely important. It helped me, you know, move money around legally. This isn't nothing illegal. uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Showing you how to delegate yourselves and use tax, how to pay yourself, what you should pay yourself, what you should be paying other people, how you're supposed to be putting money back into your business, being realistic about growth. That book was amazing um, to be able to get that information and not... Have to wait too long into
2: business to figure it out. Who inspires you and why?
4: I have been obsessed with Miley Teal for about I would say about three years now. I I love everything about her. I think that you know she actually is probably one of my resources <laughs> that she doesn't know that she is. Um, I faithfully listen to her podcast books that she recommends. To me, she's the realistic entrepreneur. She keeps her personal life as, you know, private as possible, but still transparent, if that makes sense. And, you know, just her business savviness, how she maneuvers from, you know, Curlbox to how she keeps reinventing Curlbox in many different ways. So yeah, my leak is an, a phenomenal inspiration um, to you know, what I definitely aspire to as a CEO.
2: Number three, what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business?
4: Getting up early. Uh, College, I hated it. (laughs) Um, Prior to, I was never a morning person. Now I am up every single day around, I would say around 4.30, Um. And it gives me my time. It's like that stillness before everyone gets up. I get to, you know, do my meditations. I get to plan out my day. I get ahead of everything and everybody. And so that, to me, has been a, a, a really good habit <laughs> that I have picked up. And I think the latest I can sleep in is about 530
2: Alrighty, last question. What's your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss but are worried about losing a steady paycheck?
4: You know, the thing about fear is like the further you get away from it, you know, you realize that I don't know why I was so afraid of that in the first place. Because for years, I didn't pay myself. Um, And if you let my accountant hear this, she's going to turn red. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because I was afraid of that. There are times now where I get a $2,000 Pepco bill and I'm like, so it's either pay that Pepco bill or pay myself. And, you know, because things happen, but, you know, that's a part of being an entrepreneur is taking that risk. But you also have to be prepared. Uh, My mantra for this year has been make a decision, plan it out, and then maintain it. And that it sounds so simple, but it's not, you know, once you make it, it's easy to just make a decision, right? Or maybe you're not that easy. But if you say, this is what I'm going to do, I set out to open a juice bar. Well, what is my plan? How do I plan on doing this? You know, I'm going to save money. I'm going to put everything that I earn back into it. And now I have to maintain that decision. That doesn't mean when I get a thousand dollars that—that's extra money. There is no such thing. <laughs> Everything goes; it has a place. Um, so I wouldn't say you know be too afraid of losing a steady-paying job or a steady, at least a steady paycheck. But definitely make a plan that, and make sure that that plan is realistic. Do not run it by your friends who are saying, "Yeah, girl, that sounds good." Run it by people who are realistic and have real experiences.
2: That is the perfect note to end on. So what's the best way that we can connect with you after this episode? Sure. So you can reach me
4: um, via email, which is just the letter J at turningnatural.com. Or I am on social media at Jerry Chanel. And that's J-E-R-R-I-C-H-A-N-E-L. Or you can stop by any of our three locations. and you may see me running in and out, but that's me.
2: All right. Thank you so much for being our guest today, Jerry. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.